today we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, continuing in the discussion of what a good... Oh, I didn't turn the mic on. It's me. There we go. Um, we're going to continue in, in Paul's direction to Timothy about the kind of teachers and leaders should be in the church, but there's also some warnings in here too of a few people who have shown up in the mix and they are causing some dissension amongst the church. And so Paul's giving Timothy some charge to try to take care of that. So let's pray. We'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we are thankful for this day. We're thankful for this time that we would have in your house. We're thankful that we can open up your word and we can see um, the church for 2,000 years has had some of the same issues. And so I don't know that that's always positive to look at, but it gives me some great confidence that when stuff comes our way as a church body and as a family, it's nothing new. Um, this is nothing surprising to you when it happens. And so you've given us some direction and some ways in which we can um, combat that. We can get it out of the way and we can get to the work of loving people well. Help us to see that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it cutting in and out again? Yeah. Hit that sync button, Dan, on the receiver. Sometimes that fixes it. Sometimes it goes out and then it comes back. And There's something with digital and airwaves and things. You have to sync it every now and then. And I don't know. That one's been doing a little bit too. Who knows? Okay, today I'll read it and then we'll break it down. It's a little confusing at first when you look at it because it is a continuation of the thought. But intermingled in this is Paul addressing the issues, but he's also encouraging Timothy. So it's, it's not just a straight encouragement directed just at Timothy. There's also some things that the congregation is going to hear that is listening to this. And so we're going to, it gets a little muddy. And so we'll, I'll try to dissect it a little bit for us as we go through. So the first reading will be, you might go, what? Just bear with me. Verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and, and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must be, not be quarrelsome, but kind in, to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So there's... One big issue that we'll get to, but there's also these, there's a, another push for hard work 
And then there's also this phrase of clean vessels. And then there's, it's, he, he, Paul is trying to throw everything at this. He's continuing from the first part. It's a continuation of 1 Timothy, of the call of a leader and what are the characteristics of a leader in a church. It's just a continual push and push and push. But there's also these loving, fatherly things like, Timothy, don't, don't get sucked in by the controversy. Don't get sucked in by the latest thing that's going to come through the wave of the church because there's going to be another one a year from now that's going to come waving right through. And how you respond is actually how people will come to faith. That even though people would be against you or would think different than you or think things that are damaging to the church, how you treat them and how you approach them could win them to the Lord. So be careful. So if we break it down, we see three things kind of themes in these passages. The unashamed workman, which is Paul telling Timothy, um, don't let them get you down. You are appointed to this. Don't let the stuff hit you and weigh you down to make you feel like you're worthless and you're not capable. Stick to it. We see the clean vessel issues where he's talking about the tableware in the house, which is essentially a comparison between your fine silverware in China and then the those great chinette paper plates that are at Thanksgiving that will hold the mashed potatoes and noodles and they won't fall apart. And then the, even though they're the thick, nice plasticware, it's still plasticware. It goes in the trash at the end. That's the comparison he's going for. And then you are serving God and God alone. And that is your goal. Quit worrying about what's happening all around. So I found a, um, I mean, we see that there's a clear call on faithful teachers to preach the word. That's your goal. As leaders in the church, even if you're not in this role, it is your job to let the Word of God roll out of you. So as you study, as you spend time in study, as you grow in your faith in God and trust in Him, then when you have conversations with people, what should flow out of you is more what God would want you to say and less about your opinions. Now, it's okay to have your opinions. I have many opinions, and some of them are very strong. And there's a time and a place to share those. It's usually in the confines of friendship and close proximity. And even if it's, contra, if it's a, a confrontation, it doesn't happen in public. It doesn't happen for the whole world to see. We can dig into all of those things. But my goal or my job or my role as a leader in the church is not so much to let my opinion be what reigns and rules, but it's for the Word of God to reign and rule. So that even though I might have some opinion about something that's political or social or whatever, it's great that I have that, but I can't put the mark, well, God says, so I back up my opinion. It should be my opinions are formed by what God says. I don't try to inform what God says with my opinion. You, gotta, you have to be able to kind of remove your emotion a little bit from it and just say, Lord, what would you have? Lord, how, what should I say in this moment? Lord, what should I? And so Paul's trying to encourage Timothy to do that. John Newton, the, the writer of the great song Amazing Grace, he said that redeeming love has been his theme, and, he sh- and it shall be till I die. And if that humility comes out of you, that the goal of all the controversies, the goal of the conversations is for the redeeming love of Christ to ooze out of that conversation, then that is a worthwhile conversation. That's something to go for. But if you have a, an attitude that you're just going to try to win... I'm going to win this debate. I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to prove to you I'm smarter than you. I'm going to prove to you that you're stupid. I'm going to prove to you that you're a sinner, that you need to repent. You need 
None of that is going to achieve what you're hoping for. Instead, you're going to cause great division. There are times to stand strong in what we believe, strong in our faith, strong in what the Bible says. But how do you do that? How, do you, how, how are you communicating that to others? Because how you communicate to that, that to others, you may put up such a barrier from the very beginning. They're not going to hear the Word of God because they can't stand you. Amen. And that's a terrible way to try to get people to come to the faith, to come to truth, because you're just... You're full of picket signs and anger and throwing, and that's not the way that you're going to help people see that if they're in sin, they're wrong, they're thinking wrong. That's not how you do it. And so Paul has told Timothy, if you remember last week, he's told him, you've got to work hard. You've got to have discipline. You've got to you know, put in the effort. You've got to, but there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it that shows grace. And that's what we're, he's essentially talking about today. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Remind them, charge them, but do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker. Timothy, you know the truth. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Do not be ashamed of what you know to be true. Do not be ashamed... That you disagree with your neighbor, you disagree with your friend, you disagree with... It's okay. But do it with love. Do it with grace. Do it with the word of truth. Your opinion is only going to go so far. And you put the seal of God's word with it, it will go much farther because God wrote it. You didn't. If you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of our souls and that God wrote the word, that God is the one who's given it to us, then you need to be careful when it just is all you and not a lot of God. Because then people walk away going, well, Mike's an idiot. Like, who cares what Mike says? He's said all kinds of dumb stuff. He didn't go to a, you know, an Ivy League school. So what does he know? He didn't go to one of the big five seminaries. What does he know? He, and you could just dismiss someone real quick. Well, I know what he did in his past. I know what... Oh, can you imagine that? If someone was looking at you and you're talking to them and in their head, they're just going, I know what they did. I know who they are. I know where they've been. I know I'm not going to believe them. And so if you begin to remove yourself from that equation, that can be the opener to get to the conversation. But you need to slowly remove yourself and say, well, this is what the Word says. Let's read it together. What do you think? What do, you, what do you feel? What's God speaking to you in this? You're going to get much farther than just saying, well, that's because I said so. doesn't seem to work in my house very well with my children. There's a time when it did, when they were really little. Hey, Dad said so. Um, and there were, then as they got older, it can't just be because I said so. There's still some of those moments, like I'm in charge. Like, no, you can't do that. That's a dumb idea. I'm your dad. It's my job to protect you. You can't do that. But more and more as they get older, it's a conversation. It's, listen, this is my experience. This is what we're happening. This is because you can't just shove it down their throats, right? So I think there's a few characteristics um, that we see in this good worker in these first couple of verses. That a teacher leader of, in a church is going to work hard. You're going to be diligent about your study. You're going to be diligent about what you're trying to accomplish. You're going to understand 
that teaching the scriptures to people, either, either on a stage or in a conversation or through your life, is of utmost importance. And that requires hard work. It requires putting some effort into it. Because we all know that if we sit down in our daily devotions, we sit down and do a Bible study, I mean, we can all be honest, admit, right, that sometimes we've read a piece of Scripture and going, what is that? What is God saying there? i got to dig into this. I might have to ask a friend for some answers. I might have to dig into a different source. I might need to look at my footnotes, actually, in my Bible. I might, not, might need to set aside this Bible and pick up the study Bible, get a little bit of help. It's, it's work. It's effort. And we all know that we put effort into all kinds of things. Pick your hobby. Pick your favorite sports team. Pick your favorite thing that you love to do. You'll know everything about it. You'll know it. You'll study it. You'll have the... I mean, I don't know if anybody has magazine racks in the bathroom anymore. I grew up with one. There was a magazine rack in the bathroom. And so you would sit down, and my grandparents always had Reader's Digest on the back of the toilet. And then in the, the magazine rack here was, you know, my grandpa had a collection of um, popular mechanics. And my grandmother had, like, Better Home and Garden. And so you have all these things that you're into. And I, does anybody have a magazine rack in their bathroom anymore? Basket. No one? A basket. That's good. I think most people just break out their phones, which... That brings a whole other thing to red flag and disgustingness, but that's a whole other conversation. You have, but those things are what you love to read. You're going to dig into that. Hunting season's coming. You pour over the maps. You pour over the, the draw results. You pour over, all that stuff happens. Your favorite hobby is everywhere. You study it. You know it. Your sports team. You know the people. You know the positions. You know the scores. You know what's happening. Do you put the work into knowing God and His Word at least that way, if not a fraction of it, I hope? So as a teacher, as a leader, you should work hard. And you've got to be careful of the teachers, the leaders in a church, that don't put in that effort. Um, I was My pattern of how I usually go after a passage of Scripture is that usually sometimes Sunday evening, um, there, there's, I've, I've known some pastors, and there's even some pastors in town that always take Monday off because they're just so exhausted after preaching on a Sunday. And I get it. I mean, I get a little tired, but I, I don't, I've never done that. Um, I've always just, usually Sunday morning leads to things to do on Monday morning. That's just how it usually has happened. It's a pattern in my life. Sundays, I'm usually pretty amped. Like, I'm, I don't take Sunday afternoon naps. I know lots of Pastors have done that. They just go, maybe I don't work hard enough on Sunday morning, but I don't get exhausted. I'm usually energized. I'm usually amped. We usually do something with the family. And so sometimes Sunday night when I wind down, I start looking to what's coming next week. There is a pattern when you are preaching quite a bit that you, you, the next sermon's coming. Sunday's always coming. There's always, there's always another passage to preach. And so I start usually Sunday night. I open up my computer or open up my phone and I look at what passage is next. It's one of the beauties of going straight through books of the Bible. You just go to the next part. And so then I usually read it. And so I start putting it in my brain. I can't hold two things in my brain at the same time when it comes to something I'm going to teach. I just can't. And so if I have something happening on, like if I'm teaching at NAVS on a Wednesday night or I'm doing a funeral in the middle of the week, it's really hard for me to hold those two things in my head. Um, I've gotten better over the years, so I have to do some things. So usually Sunday night, I throw the passage up, and I start reading it, 
I read it probably 20 times in the course of a week, and I pray about it, and I'm thinking about it. It's always in my head. So if you want to count the times I'm thinking on something, I'm, I'm probably working 120 hours a week. That's not legit, but you know what I mean? Like, it's always in my head. And then come about Thursday, that's when I decide, okay, I'm going to open up a commentary and think if the things that I'm thinking are in the right, I'm going in the right spot. Did other people land in the same spot? People I trust. And then I start figuring it out, and I usually put it to bed on Friday, and then maybe Saturday night I open things back up, and I go, ah, it's always in my head. There are a million leaders that take all the shortcuts. Instead of living in that passage for a while, they go straight to the commentary. They've never spent any time in it themselves. And so they go straight to the commentary, start taking notes, and they're really good at regurgitating somebody else's work, someone else's work. They've never lived with it. They never sat with it. They've never... There's a website, sermoncentral.com, that you can go to and download hundreds of other pastors' sermons. You don't even have to do the prep work. Just download it, get up on Sunday morning, have the manuscript, read it. You can buy the slides, you can do it all. And you just go find it. And then you're just, and there's been multiple people over the years get caught doing it. Like, I, it would be fantastic if I just got up every morning and started re preaching David Platt sermons or Matt Chandler sermons. And you guys are like, man, he is so smart. Gosh, how does he do that? Well, it's because I steal from good people. Are you putting in the hard work? So if you are tasked with teaching, you're tasked with having a conversation with someone, and you're going into that Bible study, you're going into that conversation, do you just quickly Google something and then spit it back to them? Or is it something you've lived with? Is it something you've sat with? If you haven't sat with it, if you haven't lived with it, if you haven't struggled with it, you haven't wrestled with it, you haven't done the hard work as a leader, then you're not going to... You're not going to communicate from your heart. You're just going to give them regurgitated rote memory stuff. You're going to give them someone else's heart. And that's going to fall flat fast. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy, do the hard work. Like you've got to be in the congregation. You've got to be with the people. I don't know. There was a time when I thought it'd be fantastic to be a teaching pastor at a megachurch. There's been those around for a while. Um, at the time when I thought this was a good idea, Rob Bell was a famous pastor in Michigan, wrote some great books, had a pretty good influence on my life in learning how to think about Scripture properly. Well, I thought properly. Think about Scripture, we'll just put it that way. 10,000 people, there's no way he knows his congregation. There's no way. And I know, I know people in our church at varying degrees in personal relationship. Some people I might just know their names. Some people I know them really well. Some people I have. But of the 250 or so that are around here on a Sunday morning, I can't have intimate relationships with all 250. Can you imagine being in a church of 10,000? That means you, can, you can't have a relationship with your congregation. So you're just getting up there and throwing things out. Might be fantastic knowledge. But you don't know... I'm a firm believer that the shepherd should know the sheep. The shepherd should smell like the sheep. I'm not saying mega churches are bad. I just can't be why I can't do it. Do you put in the hard work of even knowing the people that you're talking to? 
He then, also in there, that you're a God-centered leader. That you don't live for the approval of man. You're not trying to get your next private jet. You're not trying to you know, walk around town and have the everyone just praise you and fall on their feet at you and you show up in an airport and you can't get through. Like, I don't know that a, that a pastor should have celebrity status. But you can't go through the airport with people mobbing you. There are a few that are like that. I think that's weird. Are you a God-centered leader in the church? A God looking to have the approval of God, not man. This frees you up from trying just to be a people pleaser. It frees you up from the hard conversations because you're not trying to please the person you're talking to. You're pleasing God. How do I honor God and his word in this conversation, in this relationship? Because you can like me, you can hate me. At the end of the day, all that really matters is what does God say about this conversation we're having. And then lastly, you've got to be careful and accurate with the word. Not just the hard work of knowing people and putting in the hard work of thinking, but you need to be, like it, there's been a, there's probably been a, there's been a half dozen times. I don't, it's not been a lot. Okay, maybe it's been two dozen, a whole dozen. I don't know. The times that I've had people from the church come to me after preaching have been more about, um, could you explain that a little better to me? I've not had, there's only been a couple times when someone's come up and said, hey, I think you got that wrong. There's been a few. And I've had to come back the next Sunday and go, uh, I did this wrong. Uh, that wasn't, I, I was thinking this way, and a leader in our church came and said this, and helped me see, and so I've had to say, this is wrong. Do you have a humility in being careful with the word? Do, do you labor over, did, if I get this wrong, if I share this inaccurately because I'm letting my opinions flood in instead of what God would say, does that terrify you? It terrifies me. Like there's, we already know it's not here, but we know that Paul says that someone who's teaching the word of God is going to be held to a higher standard. You're going to be judged accordingly. That's terrifying. That even though I know I'm going to heaven, even though I know that my salvation's secure, that I'm going to get there and God's going to say, good and faithful servant, except for these three things. There's these four times. We need to have a talk. You're in. Come on in. Give you a hug. But these few times, you kind of messed that one up. I don't know if that's how it would be. But in my head, that keeps me on my toes a little bit. And what I love is that I have a group of friends who will keep me on my toes. That if I have a, can you say brain fart in church? Okay, good. If you have that moment and you just miss it or it's not there, then there's people that have come up that care enough about the teaching of the word to say, hey, Mike, I don't think that was right. I don't think that was accurate. I think you might have missed that one. And then there's also some love in this place to where you give me a mulligan every now and then. Do you labor over the word? Do you fear God instead of man? And are you careful with the word? That this is a heavy burden. That when someone comes to you and says, I need to talk about this. I've been struggling with this. Can you help me with this? Can you help me see this? That you're like, ooh, I got to give them the truth. And I need to make sure it's right. Because if I, I got this one moment, I'm in this one space. I need to pray about this. I need to know this. I need to be ready. I need to... And so I'm also giving you permission. If you're in one of those moments and you don't know, just say that. Uh, I need to look at this a little longer. Can we talk tomorrow? 
Can we get together tomorrow? You threw a real humdinger at me. I need some help. Paul's trying to encourage Timothy this way. Then he gives, these are pretty obvious. I don't think we have to dig into this a whole lot. He says in verse 16, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So he's saying, like, just watch out for the, the, the garbage that comes in. Everybody's going to say, everybody is going to hear about the new theory on the new thing about the word of God. It's everywhere. In every season at Christmas and every season at Easter, there's the new theory on the thing that no one believed the last time they thought about it. It's over and over and over again. I have been, I've stood in Jericho where the walls came tumbling down. And you can see in the archaeological dig, you can see on the wall where the burn layer is. Which in archaeology, if there's a massive destruction layer, if something is destroyed, if something happens, and they built on top of Jericho, you can see, no one's hiding it. You go in, you look, and right there is this massive burn, which you read the word of God, they, pot, they burnt the city, which means they had to bring lumber in to burn this place to the ground. They burnt it. And you'll have archaeologists who don't want to back up Jewish claims to certain parts of land in that area because they don't like the Jewish claims. They're anti-Semitic. They don't like the Jewish people. And you have academics who will ignore what's right in front of their faces because there is a political agenda going with the dig. But it's right there. And so people come along, well, you know, Jericho, and it didn't, and, you know, that's a theory, and that's a, it's right there. That kind of stuff happens all the time. Well, that's not really what God said. And well, I read, there's this new author who wrote this book a year ago. And then like, okay, great. I'm not against authorship. I'm not against research. But are you just jumping to the next thing? That happens all the time. All the time. And so Paul's telling Timothy, avoid irreverent babble. It's going to lead people to more ungodliness and their talk spreads like gangrene. And then he says, they are upsetting the faith of some. When you entertain all of the silly things that are out there and people are listening, you could cause some stumbling blocks in people's faith and in their growth. Now, if you're with someone who's strong, you're with someone who is okay, someone is ready, someone can handle it, then dive into that. It's, it's kind of fun sometimes to have those debates. I messed this up a couple times. I thought that the debate, the Socratic method, the way of going over things, the way just let all ideas flow, let's have, was the best way. And I, I do with some guardrails. I had a young man in the youth group in Indiana. When I was teaching high school, he was asking some questions about the Apocrypha. He was asking questions about some... Um, some Jewish mysticism, some things that were kind of out there. And I have this book. It was called The Other Bible. And it's a collection of all of the, the fringe letters that have been thrown out of the canon because you can't verify them. 
They're kind of fun to read. This is where the Gospel of Thomas comes from, um, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary. All of these things are in there. And you read them, but you have to know the firm foundation. All of these were ignored by the church because they couldn't be verified. It would be like one of you going home and writing a letter and saying, well, that's the Bible. Well, how do you know? Well, because I found it in a safe deposit box in New York, and it's been there for 40 years. That was the Gospel of Judas. Someone found it in the Middle East, stuck it in a safe deposit box, and just forgot to tell everybody for 30 years. So they break it out. It becomes the big about five years ago, the gospel of Judas.